Hey, what's up? Thanks for checking out the Blissful Prospecting Podcast. My name is Jason Bay. Welcome to the show. If you're catching the show for the first time, I'm on a mission to help reps and sales teams turn complete strangers into paying customers. So what we talk about on this podcast is outbound primarily. We talk a little bit about sales, you know, discovery. We're starting to dabble into demos and all that sort of stuff. But I really believe in three things. Um, one, we can have fun and kick ass at the same time. Two, it's okay to be money motivated. So it's okay to want to make more money. And three, we talk a lot about sales being a lifestyle. And I really believe that when we become better human beings and better conversationalists, better partners, friends, sons, daughters, whatever it may be, uh, that we get better at sales. So today we're talking to Amy Franco. She runs a company called Amy Franco Associates. And I wanted to get her on the podcast because she works with a lot of really cool professional services companies and technology companies. I know a lot of you listening to this podcast don't sell software. And I think that one of the things that's really interesting is how we prospect for service-based versus product-based offers. There's actually more similarities than there are differences, but I wanted to get her take on that. And we talk a lot really about, you know, how to be a better conversationalist. And we talked about introversion, extroversion. I think one of the most underrated parts of cold calling, of prospecting, is if you just show the prospect that you're a good hang and you can have a really good conversation with them and ask really good questions, that'll trump any sort of, you know, weird pattern interrupt or doing a 27-second permission-based opener or whatever, you know, people are using these days. Being a great conversationalist can do so much. So we talk about that. She's also very process-oriented too. So we unpack the process she teaches her clients for how to select good accounts, how to research, how to ask great questions, and lastly, reasons for the call. What I think is really important is that you have a reason for that person to spend more time with you. And that reason has to be something strategic that you can share with them. Whether that's industry trends, you do a trends briefing, you share what other clients like them are doing. If the only reason is for you to do a qualification call, or a demo with them, it's really not a strong value proposition. So we talk about the reason for that next call and what some of those things are that are more compelling than hopping on a demo with you. Before we get to the episode, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I really would appreciate if you subscribe so that you can get notified when new podcasts come out. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave a review. Spotify allows you to kind of click and rate. All of that stuff really helps grow the show. And without further ado, Let's get to the interview with Amy. Uh, so I'm curious because, uh, you know, everyone's story is kind of different. How did you, like, not only how did you get into sales, but how did you get into, like, teaching, you know, salespeople how to, how to sell? What was that? sort of learning curve like for you? Well, you know, how, how I got into sales was my very first role out of college. I kind of fell into it accidentally, which I think a lot yeah. of people do. Um, yeah. But I got into my first role right out of college, which was an inside sales role for a, a technology business partner. So they sold IBM, they sold Hewlett Packard, they sold a, a whole bunch of different kinds of technology. So that's where I got my start and then um, moved into outside sales from there. 
But kind of for me, the intersection of being in the profession and the learning part of it, um, if I kind of trace it back, I've, I've always been somebody like I'm a huge reader. I was the kid you would always find at the library reading growing up. And um, so part of it is I just love to learn new things. And yeah. but the actual intersection of getting into the training part of it was when I left Lenovo and I got into the learning and development field from there. I just, I had an opportunity to get into that field. And so that's where the intersection of it started about 15 years ago. Um, and then after being in the learning and development field for a while as, a, as an independent consultant, I merged the sales part of it back in teaching sales, teaching leadership. So I got away from a little bit of the sales part of it, other than selling my own engagements. I sold custom training, but then about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, I decided, you know, why am I not doing more around sales and leadership development in terms of teaching it? Because it's what I love to do. So, so that's really kind of how it started to come back together. So, uh, and I always like talking to people that do what we do, you know, about this yeah. stuff, but, um, what, what's harder for you? Was it teaching people how to do sales or actually doing sales? Oh, that's a great question. Um, per, for me, the doing sales part of it was harder um, yeah. because once I could do the sales part of it, deconstructing it and teaching it was actually easier for me. Um, oh, but wow. I will say that the credibility of having done sales and then being able to actually deconstruct my own experiences and have empathy for the people in the room because, hey, I've walked a mile in your shoes as a quota carrying salesperson. Yeah. That credibility piece, you really, to me, you can't replicate. Yep. Now, it's interesting. I am sort of the opposite in that regard in that interesting. it was, I went through such a learning curve as a sales manager where and this is the advice that I was given at that uh, job was that, you know, what is your biggest strength as a salesperson tends to be your team's biggest weakness as a sales manager, because the things that come naturally to you, you tend to gloss over and ignore. My first sales job was going door to door selling house painting services <laughs> in college. Um, and I just crushed it. I was really, really good. I didn't have to, you know, like really think much about it. I just followed the system that they outlined because I thought that's, you know, you're supposed to do that. Right. And I read little red book. Of you're selling very by coachable. And, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, cool. This is really obvious. And then being a sales manager though, I was just struggled so much the first you know couple months. So I always like to ask that, um, are you, are you more of an introvert or extrovert? Like where do you kind of fall on the introversion extroversion scale? I consider myself to be more extroverted. Um, I, I don't know how much you follow some of the research on that, um, extroverts versus introverts versus ambiverts, which kind of yeah. are sort of, sort of in the middle. Um, I'm definitely more on the extroverted side of things. I get a lot of my energy from being around people. I get a lot of my energy from conversations like this. Um, I also know when I've, I'm, I've kind of had it though. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Like, um, if I'm with a client for, you know, two or three days and we're really working on a lot of intense stuff, maybe we're doing some training, maybe I'm working with their leadership team. By the time I get on that plane to head back home 
or get in my car to head back home, I, I really enjoy the quiet. <laughs> yeah. He just pooped after that. I, I, uh, <laughs> pretty much. I think that, so, um, yeah, it's really interesting. And, and the reason I asked that is that, uh, cause we're going to be talking about outbound. I always wonder what, like, what are your thoughts on who do you and your experience, who have you seen tend to, if there is even a pattern, um, tend to be better when it comes to, you know, outbound, picking up the phone, making the calls, sending the emails, like doing the, the type of outreach. Have you noticed anything in terms of like the personalities of the folks that tend to do this mm-hmm. well or, or not so well, just out of curiosity? Yeah. You know, I think about, you talk about your first job, uh, being mm-hmm. selling, uh, what, what were you selling again? Was it painting services? Yeah, door house to door? painting. House yeah. painting. Okay. My very first sales job, I was like, I don't know, 16 or 17. I was cold calling and selling newspaper subscriptions. All right. Oh, so <laughs> I'm dating myself a little bit, but, uh, so, so to answer your question, I, I, I do believe that you, you have to have a little bit of an affinity for conversation and, and wanting to be a bit of a conversationalist. But to your point, there's also the value in when you're, if you are someone who's coachable and you take a lot of personal responsibility for learning something and practicing it and getting better at it, that to me is more of the hallmark of someone who's successful over a specific personality trait. So, so for example, there was someone that I worked with at IBM who I would consider him to be pretty introverted. He was quiet. He was more reserved, um, but he crushed it every year. I mean, he was excellent. He, he had excellent phone skills. He had excellent customer skills, but I think for him, the thing that really set him apart was he was process oriented and he was committed to following the process and, and seeing it through. And that, that to me made him more successful than anything else. Uh, that's interesting. So I want to double click on just a couple of things. You mentioned, you know, being a good conversationalist. Is that something that can be learned? Can you teach someone how to be a good conversationalist? I think to a degree, yes, you can. Yeah. Um, you do have to have some, you do have to be genuinely interested in people and curious about people. Um, but in terms of being able to structure a great conversation, yeah, I think that's a skill that can be learned. And uh, so when I'm working with clients, I, I teach a five-part framework to having a, a sales conversation. And it's interesting to watch people um, kind of break it down and like, oh, really, there, there is a process you can follow. We don't just have to wing it. It's not just something you're either good at or you're not good at. <laughs> and I actually had a client one time tell me as I was teaching this to his team, he was the CEO of the organization. He looks at me and he's like, oh, my God, this is exactly what you do when we have a conversation. I'm like, see? And it's like, I I practice what I preach. So I was really excited that he picked up on that. And it was like, we have great conversations and we have great momentum coming out of our conversations. He's like, oh my gosh, the light bulb went on. (laughs) Yeah, that's super interesting. And it that's the sign of a good framework too, is when they don't know until you teach them afterwards, you know, that, that it was like a, a framework that you're working through. Um, right. I, the reason I ask about, you know, being a good conversationalist is I don't, 
I don't know if you experience this. I'm curious because you work with a ton of reps as well is when I'm giving people feedback on their cold calls and I'm listening to the recordings, they're saying all of the things that they should probably be saying, but it doesn't really sound like they're having a conversation with the person. Mm, they're not yeah. in sync. Um, there was this really interesting study that they did at Princeton where they looked at people's brainwaves when they were talking to each other. And they found that when people really connected and had empathy for each other, their brainwaves would sync a bit, which I thought was interesting. And like that whole getting in sync is an actual thing that you do with someone physically, you know? And I always look at cold calling like that, where you're saying the right things, but you're talking at this, you're not really talking with this individual. You're kind of just talking at them. It just sounds like you're just saying stuff, you know? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, um, yes, I think that that probably happens pretty regularly. And, and two things immediately jumped to my mind when you started talking about that. The first is, um, we are probably trying to think about what to say next versus the ability to kind of stay in the moment. Because when, when you're making a call that, um, uh, when, when you're making a cold call or you are, maybe you're, maybe you're interrupting someone's day. Think, uh, that Jeb Blunt uses that pretty regularly talking about, you know, prospecting or cold calling is interrupting someone's day, right? There's sometimes this maybe rush to get through the conversation, especially when someone picks up the phone and you're not ready for them to pick up the phone. So there's this maybe element of trying to rush through it and not stay in the moment. There might be this element of, um, I have to stick to the script and I can't go off of my script. Um, yeah. I will say for myself, I have scripted out cold calls for myself and I don't do well with a scripted cold call. But what I do succeed with are some talking points and some bullet points. Because when I'm too scripted, I don't feel like myself. And I think that shows through. Yeah. I want to ask you, basically, like what I kind of heard you say in this first part was how, you know, kind of like tuned you are, attuned you are to the other person. You know, even in this interview, you know, I'll catch myself through it thinking, what am I going to say next? Where are we going to take the conversation next? And I do you know the same I mean? thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're thinking guilty. about that <laughs> versus really being attuned to what the person's saying down to, you know, in a cold call, the kind of, it's a double-edged sword, but kind of the beauty of it is that you don't get to see the person. So that's one less of your senses that you have to engage. You can really listen to the person. Um, do you have any advice to like listen better. You know what I mean? I know that's kind of a really big question, but just yeah. basic listening, I find it's like 80% of like doing the cold call. Once you get past that little intro, it's like really listening and responding to what the person's seeing and making them feel like they're being heard. Do you have any advice for how to really tune in and be hyper present and listen? How do you, how do you work with reps on that? Yeah, that's a great question because um, I've been finding for myself as of recently. So when I'm reaching out to people, I, I tend to, I like, I try to use different channels of reaching out to them. Right. And I think we all have our strengths. And I would say for me, my strength is sort of the written word. So I'm someone who will gravitate toward an email or some other type of form. And I really have to, um, uh, discipline myself to use the phone 
But I have to say that I've had a lot of success lately, especially when I can reach people on their you know, mobile phones, just reaching people and connecting with them. And so I've been trying to be more aware of what happens when they pick up the phone and I'm introducing myself, why I'm calling. Many times I will have reached out to them in some other format first, maybe an email or, or a, a LinkedIn type of message. But it's interesting to pay attention to the initial reaction when they connect the dots of who I might be and why I'm calling. Is it like the, the tone of their voice? Are they like, oh, Amy, it's great to hear from you. Or it's like, oh, it's you, right? <laughs> like you can, you can kind of gauge, like I try to listen for the tone that's coming right out of the gate. And it's like, you have nanoseconds to think about this, right? You're trying to yeah. stay in the moment and you have nanoseconds to try to gauge what somebody's reaction is. Um, but for myself, it's like, I try to really listen into those initial tones of voice and the words that they're using. And then I try to really get myself into the moment by focusing in on, on that, um, so that that's what I try to do. And I'd be curious on what, what you see is being successful with that too. Yeah. I love what you said there. Just really paying attention to the tone and it's what's the person saying that they're not exactly communicating to you, you know, what are they thinking, feeling that they're not saying? So when someone says not interested, like there's something more to it than that. If they say at the very beginning of the call and I haven't even gotten a chance to explain who I am or why I'm calling they're really just objecting to the fact that you, you're calling them, they're objecting to you. You know what I mean? Like they're objecting mm -hmm. to being in this call right now. You know what I mean? And like really putting two and two together is what I try to do. But um, I think one of the things that really helps me is to have the person's LinkedIn profile and to look at their face on the profile when I call them. And then oh, I envision yeah. talking to a person. That's the thing I think that's really hard is, I'll never forget, um, that job I had as a sales manager, I got to do a meeting with one of the partners of the company, a guy named Jeff. And this is back when we did phone meetings, right? We didn't do Zoom meetings like this. You did a phone meeting with your boss, you know? Yeah, right. And I remember, yeah, I remember talking to him and I was like, he's so good on the phone. It sounds like, I feel like we're in a room meeting with each other right now. He's so tuned into this conversation. That's what I've tried to always do over the phone. You know, is like really, really pay attention to it because if you do that, you don't have to say the perfect words or do anything. That makes up for so much else if you're really tuned into the conversation. No different than if I was with you in person, you know, the eye contact, the nodding, the body language, like, hey, I'm picking up what you're putting down kind of thing. Yeah. I think that you can do that over the phone. I think it's actually probably more simple than in person, but a lot of people, I just don't think they're trained on it or maybe thinking about it. That's, that's, that's what I think at least. And I think what, what you just said, the word that jumped into my mind was like, there's sort of, um, it's a, it's being genuine, right? Yeah. So you are, somebody can pick up on that. And I, I love that idea of having someone's LinkedIn profile in front of you. So you can kind of envision them and, in you know, see, see their face while you're talking to them. And uh, the other thing you also made me think of is uh, like setting aside all the other distractions. Like I'm looking at my desk right now and there's like stuff all over it from just, you know, the day. And yeah. what I find can help me clear my head and stay focused is actually 
clearing my desk and just having maybe a single notebook in front of me where I'm taking notes. And obviously I have my, my call list and, you know, who am I reaching out to today? But having that concerted or that uh, focused time and I kind of clear my desk, it clears my mind. And I also feel like I can focus a little bit better. Oh, that's another thing. Your work environment. That's such a good point. It drives me crazy when there's stuff out. So like knowing your little kind of idiosyncrasies with that kind of stuff is important. Mm -hmm. I got kind of a random weird question I thought of that I want to ask you. Um, yeah. I think this is the reason I'm asking this is it, it I think it's good to kind of put yourself in the seat of a prospect sometimes. And a lot of times when we call people, they don't want to talk to us. And I'm really curious, what are the things that you catch yourself doing if someone's talking to you in person that you don't want to talk to you? Like, how do you, how do you normally handle that? What do you do? <laughs> oh, so, so like if I, if I like meet somebody in person and I don't want to talk to them, what do I do? Is yeah, that, or someone approaches you at the store to make small talk and you just don't oh, want to talk to them. What do you do? Yeah. You know, that's probably what I do is. I might, you know, be like, I might grab my phone and be like, oh gosh, you know what? I got to run kind of thing. I've got, I've got something to be to, or I might start talking like yeah. really quickly and get an edge in my voice, right? The, the edge in my yeah. voice that says, gosh, you're really bugging me. I don't want to talk to you right now. Um, body language would probably be kind of like, you know, closed down. I'm going to try to exit this. So yeah. those are probably some of the signals that I would put off if I'm trying to get away from a conversation. I'm very, very similar. I'm not going to be super, I'm not going to be like, Hey, I'm not enjoying this conversation. I'm not going to be that quite that blunt. My wife, right. Sarah, she's, she's from New York. She, that's like her level of, you know, kind of bluntness. But I asked that because I think it's interesting to think about, you know, if someone was paying attention, they would pick up on those on the body language that you don't want to talk to them. Like everything yeah. would just scream, this person is not interested in having this conversation. Yet when we cold call people and talk to them, they give it, they give us these same kind of cues that they don't want to talk to us. And we don't like acknowledge it, you know, in any kind of way, you know what I mean? When someone's like, gives us a really grouchy kind of tonality. I mean, you don't have to say, Hey, sounds like you're having a hell of a day. I mean, you don't have to acknowledge it like that necessarily, but, um, Hey, I really appreciate you taking this call. Sounds like you got a lot going on right now. I'll make this quick. You know, you got a minute yeah. for me to tell you why, you know, just like that little bit of acknowledgement I find helps a lot, but, um, okay. You mentioned something about just to kind of shift gears. You mentioned process oriented yeah. and that's a really interesting thing to me because it's probably a big weakness of mine is, you know, I am a very personally process oriented person, but sometimes I, when I'm working with people. I assume that they are process oriented. This is kind of like the strength is a other people's weakness, you know, kind of thing. So I think yeah. the process is just having something consistent that you do and that sort of thing is really big. But how do you, when it comes to outbound, you know, picking up the phone and you know, emailing people, what kind of process do you typically teach around this so that people can, you know, bring a more process oriented approach to what they're doing versus just winging it, which, which yeah, a lot of yeah. Yeah, no, right. And I, you know, I've been guilty of winging it too. So I, I have to tell you, you're probably, so I have my paper. I, I have a combination of tech, high tech, low tech. I, for me, I love to have something tangible in front of me that I can look at and kind of check things off. So I actually have 
prospecting lists. Um, but I also use a CRM to capture my notes and to uh, build, you know, build my uh, lists of who I'm going to call on certain days of the week. So as I think about my process, um, so I, I'll, st- I'll take a step back. You and I are both being in like we're professional services people. We are not only doing the, we're doing the delivery work of working with clients, and we're also the ones that are earning the clients. I, I build all my relationships with my clients. I sell all of those opportunities and then I also deliver. So I always have this balance between the sales side of the house and the delivery side of the house. Um, so when I'm working with clients that are in those spaces, I really have a lot of empathy for them because I can walk a mile in their shoes. Now, I also work with sales teams where their entire job is to sell. And then there are teams of people who do that, maybe the technology implementation or the professional services implementation. So part of it is me understanding who my audience is. And I might tailor my teaching approach or my process approach with them a little bit based on the type of work that they're doing. So for, so for my folks that are, there's a lot of similarities, but, but for my folks who are in professional services and they're balancing sales and client delivery, I may pare down the process a little bit. So for example, um, I may teach them to do shorter prospecting blocks. Maybe it's not a daily activity, but it's multiple times a week. And it's a 30 minute activity, not an hour or two hour activity. Um, For someone who is purely in sales, who really needs to focus on building the top of the funnel and identifying opportunities, um, I may guide them to spend more time on that outbound opportunity identification and opportunity generation. Um, But in terms of the actual kind of nuts and bolts of process. I always encourage the use of a CRM and good data in your CRM. And then having consistent daily or weekly habits that you're following. Are you prospecting daily or multiple days a week? Is it blocked out in your calendar? Do you build your lists ahead of time or are you scrambling to build your lists before you prospect? Um, so, so a lot of those things stay the same, but it might be just how much of it that they're doing. Got it. Um, I do want to highlight something that you mentioned around, like, uh, essentially what you're talking about there, it sounds like is you kind of alluded to task batching where, Hey, if I'm going to make calls, I'm not going to be scrambling to build my list. Can you explain a little bit more around, like, just even with outbound, it seems very simple, but what are the different components of that process where you would maybe break apart? certain things and not do all of the parts of that task in, in one, you know, kind of sitting, so to speak. So to I avoid the, like the analogy I always use is, you know, eating meals, like a lot of the way that people approach selling oftentimes is if every time they want to eat a meal, they drive to the grocery store and they come back and then they cook the meal and prepare it. And then they eat it. You don't do that every single time you want to eat a meal. You like task batch, right? You do the shopping one time a week. You maybe prepare meals three or four times a week and then you eat 14, you know, 21 meals a week or whatever it is. How do you recommend a a rep or how do you train around kind of the task batching piece and kind of breaking the task apart into 
different different pieces. That's a really great analogy, right? Like if we're if every time we want to make a meal, we're driving to the grocery store. Um, that's time consuming and it's exhausting, right? Yep. Kind of the same thing with outbound and, and outreach. Um, so, so for myself, what I do and also what I teach my clients to do is, as you look at the different tasks, subtasks that go into that outbound uh, relationship building, you have to understand or identify who it is that you want to be talking to. Um, and this is probably going a little bit too far back, but um, there are clients that I will sometimes work with that need to do even more of the foundational work of understanding who their ideal client profiles yeah. are. Who, who are your ideal client? What's your ideal client profile? And who are actually the people that you need to be talking to? Um, so you might, I might even have to go back a few steps and build, help them build out some of that um, before they're actually getting to the tactical pieces of having a conversation. Um, but, but in terms of purely like assuming that, you know, your ideal client profile, assuming that, you know, who you want to be talking to, usually what I try to do is the, the, the day before I try to build out who I want to talk to the next day. And for myself, I'm not needing to personally call, you know, 20 or 30 or 50, um, for, for organizations that need to do that. Hopefully they have the technologies in place to help create that. It's not always the case, but um, it's understanding who you need to talk to and building out those lists a day or two before so that when you actually get to the task of having the conversation, you're not trying to build the list then because then it's exhausting and you run out of time. Um, I will also, for each person I want to talk to, I will look at their LinkedIn profile I will try to gauge how I might already be connected to them. And I will also look at their company profiles. And I'll just do a little bit of basic background homework on perhaps what's happening in their company or in their industry. I'm not saying you have to spend hours doing this because I think that can paralyze people in terms of prep. But having a working understanding of just what's happening in their company or in their industry and what questions I might like to ask, that helps me just to feel prepared. It's that idea of preparation breeding confidence. So when I do get into a conversation, I'm not fumbling around with what I'd like to say, where I'd like to take the conversation. So, so hopefully that gives, gives you some, some thought. And into my or some insight into my process, and then I—that's what I will teach my clients around. Oh, definitely. You mentioned client selection. This is something we yes. talked about before too. ICPs and personas. It sounds like such a basic, basic thing, but even very large companies need help kind of refining, you know, that a bit. Do you find that, you know, even at large companies with your ICP first, uh, first aid, do you do you find that people are tend to be too broad, where it's like, hey. I hear a lot, we're industry agnostic. We can serve anyone. You know, I, I tend to hear a lot of stuff like that. Um, is that something that you hear? And what are your recommendations on ICP when it comes to segmentation? How do you recommend people segment? Where, where have you seen people go wrong, I guess, is maybe a better way to ask. So, so my, the first part of that is if somebody, if, if a prospective client comes to us inbound, like they've found 
me. Maybe they found me through the website. Maybe they saw me speaking at a conference. I will always entertain those conversations and then figure out if, if they're a fit, even if they're not quite in an industry that I work in, if they find me, that's, you know, half the battle right there. <laughs> and, and I'll always have a conversation with them. But in terms of the outbound piece of it, and this is what I teach my clients around client selection, and I try to try to model myself is a bit of the verticalization approach. So, yeah. so for example, so kind of to your, to your question of, Oh, where we, we can help anybody. We are industry agnostic, or we work across a variety of industries. Um, when it comes to outbound, I find it helpful to have a couple of verticals or maybe one vertical in a couple sub verticals to focus your efforts. So let me, maybe I can use a client as an example. I, I was coaching uh, somebody a couple of weeks ago. They are in professional services and their organization is large and they do a lot of different types of professional service work. Um, you, they literally could help this client with a lot of different things across their clients with a lot of different things across their business. But this person was focused in on the healthcare vertical and they were focused in on, um, nursing homes that were of a certain size. So they had already done some of the legwork of understanding who their ideal client profile was. And they could call on CEOs, they could call on CFOs. So those were kind of their two profiles within that client. But what, what we found was the challenge was they could call anywhere in the country. It wasn't, they weren't segmented by say geography or um, any, in any other way. So it felt like boiling the ocean. And yeah. so after we talked about this for a little bit, and this is more of the strategy side of outbound, but what we had talked about was, hey, let's focus in on a specific geography for the next quarter. Say, I said, say, pick one or two states that you could focus in on, and you're going to find a lot of potential prospects to call in on, but you can at least have a focus for what you're doing and not feeling like, I heard someone describe this lens of, you know, when, when we're working on something, sometimes where our head goes, our mind goes is, oh my gosh, if I'm working here, I'm not working in all these other places. And it can start to play little mind games with us. And we feel like we're not doing enough. But if you say, I'm going to focus in on these couple of states for the next quarter, and then I'm going to evaluate it. Okay. Now you've got a plan. And you could work the plan and it starts to become a little bit more finite instead of feeling like, oh my gosh, there's a million people I could call. Who do I call? Yeah. I think you've mentioned something that's really important too, that, you know, that when you're thinking strategy and how you approach something, doing it in a way that, um, gives you kind of like peace of mind too, <laughs> you know, addressing yeah. the, yeah. Hey, one of the things that can make me really anxious is if I'm going after too much, it's like analysis paralysis, where do I start? There's so much offered and then vice versa too, you know, so kind of addressing the mental piece of it. Yeah. I think the verticalization is, I mean, if you're calling insurance companies and you also sell into retail and you call the retail company and say, we've worked with ABC insurance companies, it's just not going to resonate with them. You no, know, so right. And you really need to segment just for the messaging too, so that you don't have to do so much customization every time you reach out to people. 
Yep. That's a great point. And that's a great example of two really kind of divergent industries, two very opposite type of industries. They're so different that it's hard to do that homework and to build the right talking points and to understand maybe more of who those decision makers are and those stakeholders are and what they're dealing with in the business. And then you start to feel like it, it, it can knock your confidence. And when your confidence is knocked, it comes across and then it's really hard to have a good conversation with somebody. Yep, exactly. Uh, you mentioned questions before, you know, thinking about the types of questions. How do you, from an outbound standpoint, um, how do you think about the types of questions that you might ask someone over the phone and, you know, that sort of thing if you get someone? I think that there's a fine line between asking great questions and coming across as an interrogator. <laughs> yeah. What is that line, by the way, for you? That's a good question because sometimes I've had people give me feedback that I can come oh, across really? as an interviewer slash interrogator. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and I have the best of intentions, right? I'm just genuinely curious and, that, and I want to learn about people, but I sometimes yeah. forget that my energy and curiosity may not always be received in the right yeah. way. <laughs> so uh, I laugh because it's, uh, you know, that's something I've just had to work on. Right. And um, so, so the, I think the, I think the questions, the number of questions and the types of questions are probably something that you have to think about with each of your calls, each, each of your conversations. I'm a big fan of having a question bank instead of feeling like I have to reinvent the wheel. Every time I do have my, my list that I just build over time and, and I've kept, kept up with it. And, you know, if somebody asks a great question or I hear something on a podcast, it's like, Oh, that's a great question that I want to add. So I keep, keep a question bank going. And then I, I think about, all right, what do I really want to get out of this conversation? Especially someone that doesn't know me and you know, they don't know me. We don't have maybe a rapport yet. Really, what's the goal? The goal is to peak enough interest that they would like to continue the conversation, right? So a prospecting conversation may not be very long. So we don't have a lot of time to build that rapport so I might only ask, you know, one or two questions. Um, and I'm always looking for a way to warm it up, right? Like if, if I, if we have a common connection or someone has introduced me, that's the, that's the best way. Like I, I love getting introduced. Um, does, doesn't happen all the time, but I love it. Um, so I'm always looking for a way to warm up the conversation and I might only have a, you know, time for, you know, one or two or three questions because really what I'd like to do is schedule time for something that's a little bit more in depth based on what I learn about them in that conversation. Yeah. How do you know if, if it's a good question or a bad question, how do you measure the quality of the, the question? Usually I find it's a good question when it, um, when it generates really good conversation from their side and like they kind of get more animated. Like you can sort of hear the animation in yeah. their voice and they want to share more with you. And I'm not 
talking as much. Like it, it gives me an opportunity to, to take notes and, and kind of absorb what, what they're saying. So that's one way that I can gauge if I've asked a good question. The other way that I can gauge if I've asked a good question is if someone, you know, says like, huh, you know, that's a really good question. I, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but that's a great question. I've, maybe we need to talk about that or, you know, I never thought about that question. That's a really good question. So sometimes like if I get a response like that, it's like, oh, you know, I've, I've hit on something and I'm hoping that they start to really view me as a peer. I'm not someone that's just calling them to try to sell something or demo something or, you know, whatever the case might be. It's like, I'm really interested in the conversation and wanting to continue it. Got it. Do you have any examples of good questions that you have used or that your clients have used anything like that? And I ask because I think this is where a lot of reps struggle. Honestly, they ask really kind of, they ask questions that get a response like, yeah, or no, not really. And then they get stuck. <laughs> You know, yeah. on the call, do you have any examples of what, what good sounds like? Yeah. And, you know, I also think, um, be before, before I answer that, I think the other piece too, is sometimes we try too hard to, um, what's the right way to say this when, you know, when I would, I have a, a client that I work with right now that we have worked together now for like four or five years, we have such a great relationship and I was, it was an, it was an introduction from a mutual, um, mutual connection years ago. And the thing that I started to learn in that opening conversation was that as you kind of read people's, um, verbal body language, I guess would be the way to put it. So you talk about your wife being from New York and having more of a direct communication style, this client like if I would have gone in and started asking them, you know, well, how's your day going today? Or, you know, how many kids do you have? What do you do in your spare time kind of thing? Those kind of questions would land so flat because I had not earned the right to have a those types of conversations. And I think sometimes we, we are taught and we teach people to go down that path erroneously when we haven't really earned the right to do it. Now I can totally ask them, oh, you know, how's so-and-so, how are the kids? But if I did that out of the gate, I would have lost all my credibility. So, so I share that as an example for, for people to be thinking about the types of questions that they ask. And we sometimes are taught to try to warm them up with an emotional connection when we're not there yet. And it, yeah. it just takes a while. So, so in terms of what good could look like. Um, I think the first thing is really understanding the purpose for your call. And when you know the purpose for your call, then you can design like two, two or three questions, but I will tell you one question that someone shared with me. I can't take credit for this, but I, I, I use it because it's such an awesome question. And the question is, what are the two or three biggest decisions in the business that you have to make in the next year? And what I love about that question is that it's a variation of the, what keeps you up at night question, which I don't love. I would love everybody to strike that from their vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. It's a variation of that. And it's a business oriented question. And I bet they're not going to expect it when they're getting that, that call. 
Um, so, so I do love that question, but you have to warm that up first, I believe with a reason for your call, how you're connected and what you might be able to provide that is of value that warms them up a little bit. Yeah. What is the reason for the call? Like, what should the reason for the call be? Mm. So, so in my world, reasons for call are going to be probably they're going to fall into a couple categories each time. The first category is Jason, you and I have been introduced through a mutual connection and I am calling to follow up for a conversation, which could be either a, we're going to expand our networks a little bit with a conversation where we might be talking about some things that are happening in the industry. And I'm going to listen for potential gaps or problems that I might be able to help you with. So there's like the networking conversation, the industry trends conversation. Um, one, one approach that I have been using as of late, and I will say I personalize all my messaging. I might have a common theme to the message, but I'm never going to watch, rinse, repeat the same thing without having a little bit of personalization to it. Um, but what I have been doing in terms of both written outreach and you know phone outreach is um, trends briefings. Here, here are trends that I'm seeing that are happening in your industry that are related uh, sales trends that could be impacting your industry. That's one that I will often use. Um, I will say, hey, there's um, there are some research that I've come across related to your industry. I'd like to share it with you and you know schedule schedule a conversation and see how this might be impacting your business. Um, so so for myself, I have found success in keeping it keeping it strategic. Now, if we're working with teams, let's say that they're selling a specific, maybe they're selling a specific product. Maybe it's an insurance product. Maybe it's a software product and thinking about what your goal is of that conversation. Your goal might be ultimately you'd like to do a demo of that software, or you would like to um, talk with them about insurance products that might be a fit for their life or their business. Even if you are selling something that is product oriented, I still believe you can start the conversation by talking about what you know about the industry that they're in and how things are impacting them. Because that opens the door to, here are some problems that I've solved maybe for some other clients that maybe you're experiencing too. And if this piques your interest, we could have another conversation. Yeah, I love that. Because it gets above the, we already have that conversation. You know, when you talk too much about insurance or the software product or the CRM, if you're selling one of those, it's like, Hey, we already have Salesforce. Yeah. yeah. You know, or we already have HubSpot or, or whatever, you know, it's uh, strategic. So is it then as a sales rep, when you set that meeting, um, I imagine that you need to deliver on those insights as well on those trends. <laughs> yes, is that you do. <laughs> like, is that something you right. typically see the company provide the rep or are reps kind of coming up with that kind of thing on their own? I mean, cause that's the, that's the, I think the hard part about the, that approach, because it's very effective if you have the insights, but I find that some people don't even really understand what those are. 
how to deliver them or anything like that. What does that part two look like of that when you actually get to talk to the person? Great question. And 100% unequivocally, yes, you have to have the resources at your disposal or the research at your disposal to be able to actually deliver on that type of conversation. So if you are fortunate enough to work in an organization that does that thought leadership, then you may have some resources already at your disposal. You might have some white papers, you might have some webinars, you might have some things that your company has already done. Um, that, that's the first place that I always recommend to go. In the absence of that, this is where you might have to be a little bit more um, creative and you may need to, you may need to go to your manager for some help with this, or you may need to go to the marketing department of your organization for some help with this. You may have to do some independent research um, on that particular set of trends or what's happening in the industry. So, so the chances are good if your company is not creating that for you, you may have to get creative and figure out how to, how to find it and how to deliver it. The good news part of that though, is once you have sort of um, vetted that out and you have created that and you have it at your disposal, you can reuse it with, with other clients. Um, and, and I'm of, I'm of the, I'm a big fan of, you don't have to overdo it. If you just have two or three trends and you have a few points to back those up to help with the conversation, that's going to be way more than what any of your competitors are doing. Because imagine the other phone calls and emails that that person is getting. I guarantee they're not having a lot of conversations like what you're offering to do, what you're offering to do. Yeah. And to bring it full circle too, you mentioned peer. Yeah. This positions you as a peer versus you know, an SDR or an account executive or some salesperson, you know, oh, this person's that trusted advisor thing that we always talk about in sales. Um, yep. Okay. Lastly, um, so we've talked about client selection questions, you know, kind of like what the reason is for that call, all of that kind of stuff. Any sort of general things that you see working really well right now from an outbound standpoint, whether that be email structure, types of techniques, tactics, anything like that, email, phone, LinkedIn, anything like that that you see work pretty well with your clients? Yeah. So, so I would say right now, a couple of things that I'm, I am finding to work well. And, um, I think you, you've jogged a thought, which is, I really believe it's always good to evaluate what we're doing and Mm -hmm. what's working, what isn't working. How are, t- how are kind of times changing, you know, what's happening just in the world that's, you know, that we need to always just be aware of and, and always be thinking about this. But, but to, to answer your question for myself, um, I find LinkedIn for myself to be a very powerful um, research tool. And I always try to use that tool with the goal of potentially taking a conversation offline. So I have found success with that, where I might connect with someone on LinkedIn, we might develop a rapport, and then I would always like to suggest, hey, could we have a conversation, you know, offline, could, could we schedule something, you know, here, here are some, some dates and times. So I find that online to offline type of um, 
uh, tactic, if you will, to be really, really helpful. Um, I also find offering up specific dates and times for a conversation also to be helpful because then we're taking the responsibility on ourselves as the professional to offer up times and, and to help move, move things forward. Um, I also find strategically speaking that it's helpful to have a mix of things and to know what our tendencies are. I shared earlier, my tendency is email and I have to discipline myself or have the habit of kind of shaking my own tree a little bit and saying, you know what, I've been doing a lot of things via email. Let me pick up the phone and call people. And, and you have to have that data at your fingertips. That does take a little bit of research to sometimes get that data. Um, but when I have it and I can reach somebody, we have great conversations, right? I, I feel like people are right now, especially, they welcome a phone conversation. They're probably a little bit tired of email. They're a little bit tired of Zoom. I had a couple of conversations just in the last, I don't know, two weeks where I reached out to two, two people, like literally in a row, Jason, where I reached them on their mobile phones and they're like, I'm really glad that you called because I have to tell you my inbox is completely overflowing. I've been working 80 or 90 hours a week for the last, you know, two, three, six months, like I, I can't, can't even get to all of my email. So the fact that I just picked up the phone and called them and they didn't have another email to respond to, they're like, yes, thank you for calling. <laughs> so, um, so that's a long answer to your question, but, but those are a few things that, that work for me. And I would say, strategically speaking, just really being aware of our habits and where do we need to shake up our own habits sometimes. Love it. The phone I'm finding is the less crowded, the least crowded channel you know, of the three right now. For oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, one more question, yeah. uh, just before we take off, you know, where can people find you, learn more about you, connect with you, all of that kind of good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. This conversation has been so much fun. This, this time just flew by. So I had a lot of fun with this conversation and, um, I would say the two places that you could find me, you are welcome to go out to my website. It's amyfranco.com. A lot of, uh, free resources out there, all dedicated to sales and sales leadership. And then, uh, secondarily, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I, I am there all the time. So, so stop in. And if you connect, please let me know that you found me on uh, Jason's show. 